0: Now then, we're going to. I want to read one little verse here. I I memorized this verse in Colossians 3. I want to just hit this little verse one time. And uh, I learned this verse, and it's amazing how you can learn the verse. But uh, for years and years and years, even after I had this one memorized, I didn't know what the one after it said. And it's very important. But I only had the one memorized that fit me. Now, it's real nice to memorize things that are good for you. But some of the others that don't say what we like, we don't memorize them. You know what I mean, don't we, David? Now, so uh, th- th- let's look at this in Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23. This is such a great and precious promise the Lord says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Mm-hmm. So everything I do, I mean, I learned that a long time ago, that, and whatsoever I do, that means at work, that means at home, that means at night when I'm sleeping, when I'm running around the house, you know, when I go down to the grocery store. You know, when I go to buy a part from my car or whatever, if I'm working on something, changing the oil on my car or doing whatever, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. In other words, don't do it haphazardly. You know, do everything as if you was doing it to the king. And that's the way we ought to do things. Amen. And then he says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily As to the Lord and not unto men. Okay. Then it says verse twenty four, when I got a hold of this, I really like this one. Knowing that the Lord that knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Ooh, I like that too. I'm going to get a reward if I do things heartily. And I love that. We always like getting a reward, right? But you know, I, in all the years I had memorized Colossians 3, 23 and 24, I had never read verse 25. <clears throat> it's just like it didn't soak in. <laughs> I don't want to know that one. You know what I mean? You already read it, didn't you, David? It says, but, there's always something there that when you say, if or but, or but if, But he that doeth wrong. Now, you, you don't think any of us Christians would ever do wrong. Oh, oh my goodness gracious. Now, there's something wrong here. You know, we're supposed to be children of the king. We would never do anything wrong, would we? Oh, yeah, we do. And it's all because we don't really know these promises. Because when you get a hold of these kind of promises, you stop doing things wrong. Because you realize, he said, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect to persons. Wow. Do you really think that God would use a switch on a precious little son like me? would <laughs> nodded his head over there. Yeah. <laughs> he, he thinks God would take a switch after me. I think he knows that because we've both been there, haven't we, Keith? We have both been there. We know that he will take the switch to us somehow, some way, when we do things wrong. So when you begin to get an idea that the things that happen to you through life, you know, are not just accidents, you know, they happen because we have not served the living Christ. Now, everybody wants to think about, I, I love thinking about going to heaven and getting a reward. Or I even love more so thinking about getting a reward here on earth. You know, the Lord blessing me for being a good boy, you know, and letting me have long life and good health and providing me with a nice house and a good car and all those things and plenty to eat and a nice place to sleep. Oh, I guess, but I just worked and earned that myself, didn't I? No, I did not. I mean, you can work hard and do all you want to and not have none of that, can't you? Yeah, you can be in and out of the hospital, all kinds of things. And when you get a hold of the fact that your sins, is in fact, last night when we went down to the hospital to visit, uh, I drove in there and we drove in there. And when we did, we couldn't hardly find a parking place. We had to park way over on the other side of medical center. And, you know, I thought, <clears throat> just think. If all those people in this hospital know what I know, they wouldn't be in there. Every one of them. Every one of them is in there because of sin. They don't want to hear that, but that's why they're in there. It's because they're not doing something according to this book. Somebody say, how can you make a statement like that? Well, I can go back under the law, which is, we're not under the law. We're under a covenant that's better than the law. And I can go back many places under the law where God says, if you will be obedient and do everything I tell you to do in my word, I, God, will take all sickness and disease away from you, and you will have none. And, and he said that lots of places. So if he said that lots of places under the old covenant, and we have a better covenant, then we shouldn't be sick. You know, we shouldn't have these problems, we shouldn't have this devil after us. You know, I get tickled at Christians. I say, how are you doing today? Well, the devil's been after me all day today. He's really had a heyday with me. I said, well, you need to stop walking into your house. You need to stop sinning, and he don't come by quite as often. And if you stop sinning and you walk obedient, when he does come by, then that James chapter 4, verse 7, where the Lord said, If, if you submit yourself to me, what does it mean to submit ourselves to the Lord, Keith? And do what he says, right? Absolutely. When you say submit yourself to the Lord, it means to obey Him. And when we obey Him, He says, Then, if you submit yourself to Me, in other words, obey Me, then He says you can take My Word and you can resist the devil when he attacks you. And he'll do what, Gina? He'll flee from you. That's right. So, we don't have to put up with the devil if we're walking in obedience to God's Word. We can pray. And the Lord will do great and mighty things. But he that doeth wrong, if we do wrong, we shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. So you don't get by with nothing, do you? Nope. So that made me decide when I learned that. I thought, how could I have read that first part and had that first part memorized all those years and missed that last verse, 25? But it's amazing what happens when you drive down the road with a tape or a CD or whatever of the Bible in your player. And that's all you listen to day and night. You know, Cheryl bought me a copy of the New Testament on tape for Christmas. And uh, I made me some copies of it because I'm always leaving something somewhere or putting one in one car and losing it or whatever. So I didn't want to lose my brand new masters. So I made me a copy. And I put them all together. And so I had, uh, starting in the Colossians, uh, and went through the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. That's all that's on that CD. And I have probably listened to that CD ten times in the last two weeks. And it's amazing how that just the other day, I'm listening to that, and I thought, here he says, Talking about Colossians 3.23. I said, that's one of my favorite verses. I said, preach on brother. I love that. And he got through verse 23. And then he went through verse 24. And then he read 25 and I said, where'd that come from? I don't remember that. It's amazing how the enemy can hide stuff like that from you, right? So I thought, wait a minute. I'm going to look that up again to make sure that's what it says. I don't remember verse 25 reading like that. And I probably listened to it three or four times before it registered then. So I go back to the ministry center when I get there and I go walk in and get my Bible opened up and load the behold, It said exactly the same thing that guy said. And I thought, isn't this amazing? There is a just reward when I do wrong. I love them just rewards when I do right, but I don't like them just rewards when I do wrong. So I thought, whoo, Lord, I better sure walk holy before you because I don't want none of them just rewards for doing wrong. That's for sure. Okay, now let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And let's go to verse 7. I'll give you a minute to get there. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted, and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. Now, it's amazing how many d- different ways we can interpret the Bible. And of course, I'm seeing this in my own circles. I mean, I've got a lot of people, especially men, that study the Word of God, and I think about at least a half a dozen of us that study regularly, and we get together, and how we can Read this same book and interpret these things different. You know, I mean, i got a half a dozen guys that we can't agree upon what the Word of God says. I think, gee, there's no hope for the whole world. If a half a dozen of us can't agree, then who knows how many different ways we're going to interpret it. But it says, and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. So he's coming back sometime. He will come with his mighty angels. Wow. In flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. He's bringing flaming judgment on two different groups, isn't he? In other words, did y'all understand that just like I did, or did you read that different than I did? I mean, he says that, now this group here, I mean, I don't, I don't have any real problem with this. I hate it that people don't know Jesus. That's why I'm not talking about Jesus. But he said, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God. Now, if he could have stopped right there, I'd have been okay. But he didn't stop right there. And on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the ones that don't know God and those that refuse to obey him, those are two different groups of people. One of them don't know him and they're lost. The other one does know him, but they're not willing to obey. So, he's going to bring judgment on his own people that refuse to obey him. Well, I got news for you. Whenever we refuse to obey him right here on this earth, you know, I mean, I think, how many people, since I've learned about unforgiveness and what it does to people, how many people have I gone to hospitals and seen some of them technically dead or on their deathbeds with cancer, heart failures, you name it, and get these people to repent? And I've seen some of them healed in 24 hours. Isn't that amazing? We pray the prayer of faith for them, and they get up and come home the next day. I think, wow, this is awesome. So, does it pay to hold a grudge against somebody if you're a Christian? Uh, No, absolutely not. It will put you in the hospital because the Lord says in His Word that, If you're not being persecuted, just get a grudge against somebody. If you get a grudge against someone, the Lord will do everything he can to get your attention. But if you don't listen, he will send a tormenting spirit to you to torment you. And that tormenting spirit can make you sick. He can do all kinds of devastating things to you. And it's amazing, it's just amazing, after you learn this, You go. In other words, used to. If when I was just a normal Christian, I went to the hospitals and every once in a while and prayed for people. But I never saw anybody get well. Yeah, I never see no change. You know, I just go pray because that's the thing to do. I didn't realize they were there because of sin, and that if I wanted to see something happen, I needed to get them to repent. But when I learned that principle, then I go to hospitals and get people to repent of their sins. Then when I pray for them, guess what? We get to see. Wow! Awesome things. So the Lord says here, He will bring judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. It looks like he's talking about both groups. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one of those. I do not want to even entertain the fact that I might be separated from his love and his grace and his glorious power. I don't want to be there. So, right here when you take this scripture, when people, and I hear people say this all the time. I talk to people that say, well, I got saved when I was 12. Well I got saved when I was 15. Or I got saved when I was 30. You know, but since I got saved when I was 12, you know, God understands, you know, that when I'm 18, 19, 20, i got to sow my wild oats, you know, got to run around a little, you know, got to go out and mess around with some girls or boys, you know, that, you know, and do things I know I'm not supposed to do, you know, lie a little, cheat a little, a little drug here or there, you know, but that stuff, you know, God understands a little get drunk every once in a while. That's. Disobeying the word, isn't it? If he comes for those people, and he don't have to come at the end of the age, they could get killed in a car wreck. Or they could die with a heart attack. Like the young man out there that I ministered to out at the airport one day. And he was 28 years old. I tried my best to talk to him about Jesus. He said, oh, no, brother. He said, you know... He said, I don't need that now. He said, I'm young. I'm running around. I'm having far too much fun. You know, he said, I ain't got time for this religious stuff. He said, maybe when I get old. But right now while I'm young, he said, I'm running around. I'm having, I'm partying. I'm doing all kinds of things. I'm having far too much fun to come over to your world. I said, son, you don't know what fun is till you come over to my world. Amen. You don't know what living is till you come over here. Just a few weeks later, that young boy went out with a bunch of his friends, and they all got to drinking. And on the way home, he had a Jeep. And he didn't put his seatbelt on that night, and he ran up on an embankment in the Jeep. Of course, it had them little curtain deals on it, which are nothing. And when it ran up on the sharp bank, he, it stalled, and he fell out because he was so drunk, and then the Jeep rolled over on top of him. And let me tell you, A really nice, strong, 28-year-old man can't hold up a Jeep. (laughs) Poor boy killed him. That boy went to hell. There's no two ways about it. I had just shared Jesus with that boy, and that boy thought, I'm going to live to be 80. You know, death is so far from a 28-year-old. You know, they don't think about that. When you were 28 years old, did you ever think about dying? No. Most of us are 50, 60, 70. I don't think about dying now. You know, I think about living, don't you, young lady? Absolutely. You know, I do know that one day I'm going home to be with Jesus, but I'm glad he don't tell me when that is, you know, so I don't really want to know, you know. In the meantime, I'm going to try my best to enjoy every day, you know, like today's my last, you know, what would you do different? Well, I mean, I was out there working on the truck and the tractor and doing all kinds of things today and. I, I was on the phone this morning with people and everything. And then uh, every, every once in a while, today, I don't know, two or three times, I come through like the knight in shining armor, you know. And Cheryl would say, ah! And I'd run over and give her a kiss. And i said, I'm gone. See so you later. like, how do I go? I'm gone. But at least I did come through two or three times, you know. So <laughs> that's about all I did today, honey. About two or three times. But I was busy today. I had a great, great day today. had lots of fun today i got to minister to people, and i got to do things I like to do. You know, I like to work on trucks and tractors and all that kind of stuff. Some of you say, good grief, I wouldn't want to be been out there with you working that old truck, changing them tires and working on that stuff. I wouldn't want to have be been doing that at all. But, you know, I like that, you know, so praise the Lord. You know, some of y'all I know don't like to sling a sledgehammer, you know, and all that stuff, breaking down truck tires. Doesn't that sound like fun? You say, no, that's your idea of fun, not mine. Well, see, it's all relative. It all depends on what you like to do. But the Lord says here, and you will be among, it says in verse 10, when he comes to receive, when he comes to receive glory and praise from his holy people. Now, you know, we ought to be praising him and and giving him glory right now. You know, every day. I mean, I praise the king and love him and worship him. And I am giving him praise and glory. And... Then he says, and you will be among those praising him on that day, for you believed what we testified about him. So I want to be one of those that's praising the Lord. I do not want to be one of those that is not walking in obedience to the word. Because in this particular translation, this is very easy to read. It may read a little different than your translation. But if I read this translation right here, He says, He will come with His mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. And all of those people, according to this translation, they will be punished with everlasting destruction. Forever separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. Now, somebody says, once saved, always saved. You know, I can do anything I want to do. I can get saved and live that way for five years, and I can go out and live like the devil the rest of my life. I can shack up with anybody I want to. I can get drunk when I want to. I can be on drugs anytime I want to. I can just be as mean as I want to be, and I'm still going to go to heaven when Jesus takes me home. I'm going to tell you what. According to this book, that ain't true. That ain't true. So, don't put him to the test. You know, but don't put him to the test. Don't take a chance on losing your eternal salvation. You know, now if you obey him, do you have eternal salvation? Of course, there's no questions asked. He said he is the author of those, he is the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey the king. So, hey, I ain't going to put him to the test. You know, that's just like your mate. You know, as long as I will love Cheryl... Like Christ loved the church, she won't never have a problem with me. You know? I mean, she ain't never going to think about leaving me. That thought's not going to cross her mind. But if I was meaner than the devil every day, and I woke up and one day I walked in instead of running in and kissing her on the way, and I run in and said, I just want to slap you one more time and tell you how much I hate your guts today. Did you know there's people? Do you know there's women living in those kind of circumstances, and they won't leave because they don't—they're afraid to leave. Or, when Cheryl and I went down to the east last year, we had a woman tell us that her husband, which was like that, abused the children. I mean, sexually abused the girls. And this one girl, the one that picked us up, she was telling us a story. When she was telling us the story about how she'd been so sexually abused from the time she was a little girl, even through her teenage years, I told her, I said, Good grief, woman. I said, When you got to be a teenager, why didn't you resist when your brother or your daddy come in to sexually abuse you? She said, I did. Until I'd, my jaw was broken three times. and said, After my jaw was broken three times, I quit resisting. I thought, Oh, God. I don't have a clue what people go through on this earth. You know, I don't have a clue. Yes, she tried to resist. But then after whoever, her daddy or her brother, whoever under the influence of a demon, literally broke her jaw for third time. She said, that's it. You know, and after that, no more resisting. Just do what you're going to do and get through and get out of here. You know, she didn't say nothing. She just was a pawn. So, you think about people, and there's a lot of people that have lived like that. You know, that have had that kind of a life. And you think, good grief. Aren't you glad that God knows everybody's heart? And he's the judge? Because he's going to be the one. He'll know like that girl. You know, there she was living in hell, being raped two or three, four times a week. I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine that. But do you know something I found so strange? I asked her. I said, did you ever get pregnant in all those years? She said, no. Not one time did I ever get pregnant. I said, are you married now? She said, yes. I married a wonderful man. I said, have you ever got pregnant with him? She said, we have two beautiful children. you talk about God's protection. Here's a young girl that's being sexually abused... Two to five times a week by two to three different men her brothers, her uncles, and her daddy and she never gets pregnant. And yet she marries a man. And let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you this because she told us this. I thought, how astounding. She said, When I got married and my husband and I went to bed together the first time, I was a virgin. Isn't that awesome? That God can do that for a woman? She was a virgin. And all you women and men know what I'm talking about. She knew she was because it happened like it's supposed to happen to a virgin the first time she has sex. And she had been raped so many times. God had preserved that woman, had taken care of her. Is he an awesome God, Shelly? He is an awesome God. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can think. Did he love that little girl? Yes. He loved that little girl and he watched every time she was abused. And I thought, oh God, how you must have had a broken heart for that little girl because of the evil in the world. Tell me about where where God took her. Oh, oh, yeah. There was one other thing that (coughs) the Lord took her when I was talking about these women being abused like this. she She said, I hated my mother because she knew what was going on and she would not do anything about it so i hated my mother she said one day the lord took me to heaven and showed me a vision and and it and and she was getting ready to kill herself She she tried three times to kill herself but then one time she was trying to kill herself the lord took her to heaven and showed her a vision and said, "You must forgive your mother." And she said, "Never will I forgive my mother for what she did." And the Lord showed her in a vision obscene when all the kids were little bitty. When the daddy came in and the mother confronted him with this when she found out he was doing this, and he had put a gun to one of the children's head. And said, if you ever tell anybody what I've done, I'll start with the youngest child and I'll kill every one of them in your presence. And then I will kill you. If you ever tell anybody or if you ever leave me, I will kill every child and then you. So the mother stayed with him all those years and took all that abuse. How would you like to live in something like that, ladies? No, nobody would. So if you think you've got it bad, you better be thankful for what you have. You know, we do not realize how good we have life if you don't have to live in that. But I thought, wow. So that lady was able to come back and stop trying to take her life and forgive her mother. Because she had no idea what her mother had been through. Yeah, yeah. He said, the Lord took that woman on that trip. He took her both to heaven, showed her the beauty of heaven, and he took her to a glimpse of hell to show her how awful it was. And told her, said, if you don't forgive her, you will go to hell. That's what she told us. So that's pretty awesome. But it, it's it's amazing what people go through on this earth and what the devil does to us. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul made this clear he said in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 even while we were with you we gave you this rule whoever does not work shall not eat who's supposed to work as Christians? all of us nobody is to not work If you've got two arms and two legs, you're to be working. You're to be making your own living. You're to be out there. Did Paul preach the gospel? Did he work? What did Paul do? He was a tent maker. That's right, young lady. Paul made tents. He worked long hours to provide for himself so he wouldn't have to depend on other brothers and sisters in the church for his well-being. Now, when he preached the gospel, some people did help him. But Paul, a whole lot of that money, when it was given to him, what did he do with the resources that people gave him? Took it back to Jerusalem, and gave it to the poor people in the church in Jerusalem. He worked and earned his own living. And, of course, like Colossians 3.23 says, whatever we do, how are we supposed to do it? As As unto the Lord. We're supposed to work as unto the Lord. Don't do anything haphazardly. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're a mechanic, a doctor a plumber, whatever you do for a living, make sure you do it good. You know, if you're a pilot, be the best there is. Right, Keith? Of course, that don't hurt anything. I want you to be the best there is if I fly with you, that's for sure. You know, I guarantee you. Of course, I I kid Keith because I used to be a pilot too, and I know. You know, if that airplane wasn't safe, I ain't going in it. I guarantee you. So, and I, I knew we needed to be the best at what we did because a lot of people depended on us. But I wasn't concerned about them. I was only concerned about getting one there safe. Me. And I knew if I got there safe, the rest of them was with us. Right, Keith? That's right. And I know Keith's just like me. If he were to get in that airplane, and something questionable about that airplane. You ain't going on that airplane, are you, Keith? Yeah, absolutely No, We are not going. It's got to be. Perfect. So, anything that we do, we do it as unto the Lord. And the Lord clearly tells us, For while we were with you, we gave you this rule. Whoever does not work, you shall not eat. Who does he, whoever include? Every one of us. We're supposed to be out there making our living. Whatever you do, you're supposed to be diligently working. Verse 11. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives. Now, a Christian wouldn't do such a thing as that. Would they? Would they? Well, they did 2,000 years ago, but they, that was then. Nobody would do that now, would they? <coughs> Nobody would sponge off of somebody else. Yes, we hear that some of you are living idle lot, refusing to work, and wasting time meddling in other people's business. Uh-oh. Now we've stopped preaching and gone to meddling. But is this what the Word says? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people. My scripture says, no, we don't appeal to you. We command you in the name of Jesus. You see a difference there? You are commended by the Lord. Settle down and get to work on your own living. And I say to the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Boy, he's just pretty hard on us there, isn't he? Amazing. What's in this book? And verse 14. Take note of those who refuse to obey. What we say in this letter. Stay away from them. So they will be ashamed. Wow. If we got a brother and sister that don't do what God says, what are we supposed to do to them? Stay away from them. Hmm. Don't think of them as enemies, but speak to them as you would to a Christian who needs to be warned. Boy, that's Second Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 15. is kind of tough, isn't it? That means every Christian is supposed to work. If you've got two arms and two legs, I mean, I think about uh, especially several uh, different women over the years, you know, that I have helped, you know, that would be living in an apartment and they couldn't get a job or whatever for a month or two at a time. And not only women, it's been men too, you know, and they want me to help them to pay the rent and to buy some groceries for them. And I have done that. I mean, everybody can get down on your luck. But if you're still down on your luck two or three or four months into this, I'm telling you, you ain't looking for a job. You ain't looking. You're sponging. And it's time to stop it, and it's time to get to work. I'm telling you, you know, some people just don't want to work. And some of them say, well, you know, but, you know, I I can't find the job I want. Or what kind of job do you want? Well, I went to school and I I, I graduated in computer science, so I need a good job that pays eighty thousand a year. Okay, how many people do you know would like to have a good job that pays eighty thousand a year? Oh, there's several of them. So in the meantime, while you're waiting for that good job that pays eighty thousand a year, maybe you could go down here and work somewhere for eight bucks an hour and do some little menial job. and I ain't going to do that. No, no, no. I ain't working like that. I'm too good for that. You know, if I can't make at least 20 bucks an hour, I ain't working. But you want me to pay your bills? Hey! Guess what? If I find out that's what you're doing, what's the Word telling me to do? Keep paying your bills? It tells me to tell you to get off your duff and go to work, doesn't it? And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart and do a good job. Mm-hmm. Is that what the Scripture said? Yes. That's the way I read it. So what's every Christian supposed to do? Lay around in the shade and drink your iced tea and let somebody else bring you everything and pay your bills? No. no. You're to be out there earning your own living. The Scripture is clear. Every one of us. Then, If you don't work, you don't eat. That's what Paul said, isn't it? Now, if you want to come over to my house and you've missed a couple of meals, I'll be happy to feed you. No problem. But don't be over there every day for a month, (laughs) laying around on my couch doing nothing, listening to my music or watching my DVD, because I'm going to boot you out. And I'm going to put this number 12 in your backside and say, I'm going to put you to work. Or I'm going to take you out in the front yard and say, if i got a ditch to be dug, dig it. I mean, I was out there the other day, and I had to dig a 50-foot ditch to put that sewer line in. And I had so many lines and wires, I couldn't get a trencher. I had to dig that ditch by hand. And let me tell you, it took me a couple of days to do it. Now then, if you've got somebody lazing around in your house and you've got a ditch to dig, and you go out there, they'll find something else to do or someplace else to go. You know. But I didn't have no place else to go. I had to dig the ditch. So anyway, praise the Lord. I got it dug. I got the line in. I got it covered up, and it got the ground all smooth. So praise the Lord. I love people like Phil, whenever he said something about, I'd love to help you out there in that dirt. I said, well, okay. So I... We got all the pipe in and all that done. And I said, "Well, Phil, I'm ready to cover it up. You want to help me?" Yeah, man! He come running out there. I mean, he grabbed one of them grubbing holes, you know, and knocking that dirt down. We throwing in that wheelbarrow, working. I mean, working like a little horse. We got the whole thing all covered up. Both not only that ditch, 50 foot, but another one about 90 feet long that we had dug a few weeks before, and we filled all those up and smoothed all the dirt and everything. And and he said, "Man, he was sweating and everything." He said, "I feel good." I said, man, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, right? No grumbling and no complaining. I thought, man, there's a young man that God's, he's after my own heart. See, I love people that work because the Lord loves people that works. He commanded us to work, did he not? That's what he said. Now then, Matthew chapter 7. Let's see a little bit about effective prayer. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Now, if we're obedient, and we're doing what the Lord says in His Word about His business, and he know, only He knows your heart. Nobody else knows your heart. God knows your heart. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, this is an awesome promise. Whenever, when I used to, I mean, I used to not know these Scriptures, and so I didn't hardly ever see God do nothing. But after I learned this scripture here, that's why whenever, whenever Cheryl and I came together and I found out she had the bad knee because she had knocked it off on a uh, writing machine in a health club, and it had been like that for 16 years, well, I started praying for her. Well, it would get better, and then it would get worse. Well, we would pray again. We didn't give up. So, every time it would swell up, we would pray. And so, you pray, and it gets a little better, and then it gets a little worse. What are you supposed to do? Say, well, Lord, I guess this is not working. Is that what you do? No! No. You keep on asking, and you keep on praying. You're fighting against an enemy. And every time you pray, you're knocking a little chunk of him off. And you keep on asking, you keep on praying. Now, the Scripture says here, in Matthew 7, 7, this translation I'm reading to you says, Keep on asking. And you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. How many of us? Everyone. Everyone. Now let me tell you, when he says everyone, this is, and this is the part that we miss. Those that are walking in a love relationship with God in faith. That's the ones he answers the prayer. Because if you're living in sin, see you out there, you think everybody can get their prayers answered anytime they want to, but that's not true. Because he says in Psalm 66: 18, "I don't hear the prayer of a sinner." So if you got sin in your life, does God hear you? No. no, He does not. He may hear you, but He don't answer you. I mean, is God? You think God's any smarter than you are? Oh, you think He might be a little smarter than you and me, Donna? Now if God is if God is smarter than us and we're smart enough to know that if we tell our children to do something and they obey us, we give them something. You know, we don't mind giving them something. But if you had a son, David, and he was the meanest little critter on the block, and he didn't do nothing Daddy asked him to do, and he'd come in one night and say, Hey Dad, you old fool, I need to borrow the car. What do you think? He'd get the car? Not tonight Uh, Not tonight (laughs) So if we know that Surely God If we don't live in obedience to his word When we come and ask and knock and plead and do everything The door's closed right Sure absolutely I mean it would make no If my son had ever walked in and said something like that to me Forget it It's over You ain't never get in the car again Is that right Keith (laughs) <laughs> you, know, you just ain't going to pour out your blessings on some, even your own child is totally abusive right now, if, we're that, if, God is, if we're that smart surely God's smarter than us right Keith we know he is and so that's why we as his children we may be much older and mature but we're still the children and so if we don't do those things for our children Although we may be God's children, if we don't obey Him, He's not going to bless us and not going to answer our prayer. But if we're walking in obedience to His Word and we got our sins repented of and we're doing what the Lord says, we pray and my lovely bride's knee gets better. And then when it gets a little worse and a couple of weeks later, what do we do again? again? Pray again. Absolutely. In fact, this precious little lady over here, she was telling me when she came in tonight. She said, "I heard you tell the story about praying over Cheryl's legs and how the, she had had cold feet and legs all of her life." She said, "I'd had that same problem, so she wanted me to pray for her, and I prayed the same prayer for her. And guess what God did for her? Amen. Got warm feet now. Don't have cold feet now. Isn't that amazing that God's no respect to of persons? He don't care if it's this girl or this girl." You know, he just uh, he understands and answers the prayer of faith when we walk in obedience to his word. And so when uh, a man or a woman is walking in obedience, walking in faith, when you ask God for something, he does wonderful things. And both of these girls love having warm feet instead of cold feet. And, and I don't know about this one, but this one over here, I sure am glad she's got warm feet. <laughs> Because she comes and puts them on me in the bed real often. You know? <laughs> whenever she jumps in the bed, she's usually cold all over. You know, so she'll jump in the bed, scoot over against me, put them cold, used to be cold feet. No, she used to have cold feet. But now when she puts them on me, they're warm. You know, so, whew, that's not so bad. Praise the Lord. I'm grateful we can ask and get effective prayer. Aren't you, young lady? Absolutely. Now then, some people say, good grief, I would never think to ask God for something like that. Well, see, Cheryl didn't think to ask God for that most of, all of her life either. But see, he's there waiting to answer our prayers when we ask in faith. But now, what if you don't ask? You don't ever get it. You don't ask in faith, you don't get it. Well, if you don't know, some people say, well, goodness, I would never ask God for something simple like that. Never. He's a great big God. He doesn't have time to mess with me and my little problems. You don't understand God. You don't understand the love of God. He was so pleased that night that Cheryl and I, on our very first date, after I'd asked her to marry me, and she's accepted. A week later, we're on our first date. Now, realize that's not the way most people do things. But that's the way we did it because God totally moved in this deal told her in a dream she's supposed to marry me and spoke to me the next morning, told me I was supposed to marry her. So I thought, well, I guess I better ask her. And so I did, and she said yes. And so a week later, we're going on our first date. And I thought, that's awesome. And so here we are sitting in the car, and God is right there with us. And I don't know till 3 o'clock that morning that she has cold feet when she cranks the car. And I asked her how long she's been like that. And she says, all of her life. I said, do you want to stay like that? or no. I said, well, then throw your feet over the, st- the little the console there. And I said, take your shoes off and throw your legs over that console. And I'll pray and ask God to open the arteries and veins in your leg. And I did. And he did. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! Jesus is wonderful, isn't he? Yeah. And, of course, I did it for you the same way. You know, and it's happened the same way with her. No, I, t- no, I'll take it. I didn't do it the same way. I didn't tell her to throw her feet over the console. We weren't in a car <laughs> together. It was a little different. She was at a healing school or church or whatever, but I did the same thing. Uh, she prayed in, or agreed with me in faith, and, as I prayed, and God opened her arteries in faith, just like he did Cheryl's. Aren't we glad we serve an awesome God that answers fair? Yes. yes, we are. Praise God. So he says, ask one time? No, he says, keep on asking. Some people say, well, if I ask more than once, the second time I'm asking, not in faith. Well, I don't believe that. Because the scripture says, keep on asking, right? So if I don't get my answer the first time, guess what? I'm going to be back on his door tomorrow, right? Amen. Amen. You know, you all know that the squeaky wheel is the one that gets the oil, right? So when you ask in faith, you don't get your answer. You say, Lord, you know, and you go back and ask him again. And you ask him again, and you ask him again. And, him again, and he says, this Scripture says, this woman is wearing me out with her coming. I'm going to see that she gets her answer. Now, you girls understand that, don't you? Yes, and you can keep on asking. So, keep on asking. And he says, and if you keep on asking, you will be given what you asked for. Now, that's obedient children. And when we're walking in obedience to the Word, you'll get it. Then he says, everyone who... Ask, receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and the door is open to everyone who knocks. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, now, of course, he gives us the same example I just gave you. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Of course not, especially if they're good children. Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake you know, can you imagine, Michael, putting a snake in your child's lunch bucket when they get to school open and a snake comes calling out? No, no, you might give them a fish, you know, to eat for lunch, but definitely not a snake. Of course not, he said. If you sinful people, he knows that's pretty good, doesn't he? If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? So all you got to do, according to the scripture, is walk in obedience to the word, do what it says, and then come and ask the Lord for anything, and then believe it's yours, and he will do it for you. And I love to get these answers to prayer. You know, I just love to see God do these wonderful things. Now then, let's go on down to verse 12 there in Matthew 7. Do for others what you would like them to do for you. This is a summary of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. Oh, okay. What are we supposed to do for others? We do for them what we would want them to do to me, right? So let's say that we go out, we go out to dinner tonight and it's your birthday. If it's your birthday and my wife and I take you and a friend out to dinner and it's your birthday, the least I can do is buy your dinner For your birthday, right? Right. I wouldn't expect you to buy your own, you know. If I knew it was your birthday, so I would be doing to you what I would hope you would do for me if it was my birthday. I wouldn't, you know, want you. I mean, that's kind of like on your birthday. We just had, for instance, and we were with a couple just recently. And it was this birthday, and we stepped out together and said, Where do you want to eat tonight? Then his wife said, well, why don't we stop down at uh, Burger King? He said, I am not going to Burger King on my birthday. (laughs) Now, maybe tomorrow I may eat at Burger King. But tonight, we're going to eat somewhere besides Burger King. Somebody's birthday wanted something better than Burger King. We can understand that, can't we? Yes. So, we could call this the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now if you do unto others as you would have them do unto you, would you ever do anything wrong to anybody? No, because you wouldn't want nobody to do nothing wrong to you. You know? Not never. So, that's the golden rule. Now then. Now then, let's go on to verse 13, and let's see what it says. Verse 13 says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for the many who choose the easy way. Stop and think about that. When you stop and think, how many people... Do you think in the Dallas-Fort area, in the whole multiple, metroplex, how many people do you think there are? Just somebody give me a guess. Three and a half, four million? That's pretty close. How many of those people do you think will be in church next Sunday? How many? Fewer than a million. Fewer than a million. I would be willing to say, I bet there's less than 250,000. You know, I may be way off base, but I just don't see... In other words, on Sunday, when we come to church on Sunday, if it's not Super Bowl Sunday and they're having it here, there ain't, no ain't nobody on the highway. Oh <laughs> I mean, we never have any problem coming to church on Sunday. Now, coming in today for Bible study at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, cars everywhere. We got stranded a couple places, stalled, one guy nearly run over his honk the horn, was trying to pull over into a lane. He where everybody comes shooting in their honking horn, everybody's in a hurry. Everybody wants to get home. Cars everywhere. Multitudes of people, but they ain't going to church. I can tell you for sure they wasn't going to church. Now then the king says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. So these people Maybe let's say David is right and out of 4 million there was one million twenty-five percent I don't think it's that high but it may be but if there's 1 million that's going to church probably a big number of those are going to church just to show up they really don't have a relationship with the king right and especially when some of them that go to church are like some of these stories we hear in here about people telling us about well, you know, they're going to church, but yet they're living together, not married. You know, we need, to, we need to stop that. You know, we need to realize that we need to do it God's way. Don't you all agree? Amen. We need to do it God's way. God told us that the way to heaven is very narrow. And he says, Few there will be that will find that path. But the highway to hell is broad. And there's no resistance out there. It's easy. And its gates is wide for the many who choose the easy way. But the gateway to life is small, and the road is narrow. And only a few will ever find it. Are you glad you found it? Amen. I'm glad I found it too. I'm grateful. You know, anytime. You know, that's that's just like the, this last week. We were we walked into a room with some people, Cheryl and I did, and with another couple, and we were all Christians, of course, and we were happy and we were praising the Lord and. One of the ladies said, my goodness, I've never seen four people that smiled as much as y'all do. I said, ma'am, we know the king. I mean, when you know the king, you can't not smile, right? You can't not smile when you know the king. Think of what percentage of the world you are. It's a tiny little number, isn't it? It is so tiny. Think, you are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. And if you know him in an intimate way, that even puts you into a smaller class. Lots of people go to church. But a lot of those people who go to church have no relationship with a king. I mean, I went to church. I mean, I went to church every Sunday. I never saw God do nothing. I never saw him answer a prayer. I never saw a miracle. Never. What was wrong? I didn't spend enough time with the King. I was too busy out there in the world. But was I a Christian? Yes, I was a Christian. I really knew Jesus, but I didn't know him intimately enough to get him to do wonderful things for me. He was kind of like a distant relative, you know—that maybe you go see once a year. You know, you got a grandma and grandma lives up in Montana or somewhere. You only get to go see them once every two or three years. When you go, they're so happy to see you. You know, you may get to stay a week, and they may give you a few nice things when you're there and everything, but you're only going to be there one week. And then you're going to come back home, and you ain't going to get to go back for three more years. You ain't going to get a whole lot from Grandma and Grandpa. You only see them once every three years. That's kind of the way it is with God. You know, we don't spend enough time with Him, you know, but... If you, if you get move close to grandma and grandpa and you get you a good job up there, where that every afternoon after work you can run by and tell them how much you love them. So is there something I can do for y'all today? Can I help you? Can I can cut some wood for your fireplace? You know, can I fix a fence for you? I know y'all getting a little older. So can I do something wonderful for y'all? Now, don't go into Grandma and Grandpa's house and let her fix dinner, and you sit and eat and get up and walk out and don't help her with the dishes or nothing. That's not exactly being good to Grandma and Grandpa. But a lot of grandchildren that I know do that to their grandparents. They come wheeling in, sit under Grandma's table, and then leave. Don't even wash the dishes, do nothing. You know, that's not being good to Grandma. You know, coming in and washing all of her dishes for her and not eating, that's being good to Grandma and Grandpa. Praise the Lord. Now then, it says, The road is narrow and only a few will ever find it. Then let's go down to verse 15. Verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. You mean there is such thing as false prophets? Well, see, in the church I was raised up in, I didn't know there was prophets. So I didn't know there was false or good ones. So, I'm serious. I mean, the church I was raised up in all my life, the first two gifts we left off. You know, the apostles and the prophets. Now, we had evangelists and preachers and teachers. That's all we had. Some of y'all might have been just as fortunate as I was, been raised up in a church that never, ever had anybody stand up and give a prophecy about anything that had ever happened. Never heard it. Didn't know it existed. So, you know. But it says... Beware of false prophets who come, who come disguised as harmless sheep. The, the thing about these guys are guys and gals. You won't be able to tell them from... In fact, some of them will be so much nicer than the regular people in the church. That's where you really got to watch. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep. But are really wolves that will tear you apart. Wow. You can detect them by the way they act. Pay attention. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit. I think about a story a gentleman told me the other day. He said there was a guy in a church. And he met a woman in the church. She was a single woman. Her husband had divorced her. And he got to go in with her. And he finally told her, said, you know, they got real, real friendly with each other. And he said, you know, why don't we just move into your house together? And she said, but that would be sin. He said, oh, no. She said, why don't we get married? He said, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. If we were to get married, since you've been divorced and I am divorced, if we get married, then we would be guilty of adultery. But if we just live together without being married, it will be okay and it's not adultery. I mean, this is a true story. This is a true story. This really happened. This guy was one of those false prophets that comes about seducing weak-willed women that don't know the truth of God's Word. And so, guess what she did? She opened a door, and he moved into her home with her. They lived together probably for a year. Isn't that amazing? Deceived her. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really wolves that will tear you apart. You can detect them by the way they act. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit. You don't pick grapes from a thorn bush. Or figs from a thistle. A healthy tree produces good fruit. And an unhealthy tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So, every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, the way to identify a tree or a person is by the kind of fruit that is produced. Now, if that person is loving, kind, gentle, doing deeds of loving kindness for brothers and sisters in Christ... Working hard. Doing good things for the kingdom. What do you think they probably are? A false prophet or a true one? Probably a true one. But you've still got to be careful, don't you, David? You always have to be careful. Always be careful. Don't ever jump to trust anybody. You know, I can think of, it's unfortunate. There was a man that came here a few times, and he had a few children. I don't think I ever saw his wife, but he said he was married. And he never had any money. seemed like he just never did. And when he would come here, he would be telling me about how much trouble he has. He was not making any money, and So, you know, I'd give the guy $50 or $100 to help him out. I felt sorry for him. Then one day he walked in and he said, I've got to have two, he hadn't been here in several months, but he came and said, I've got to have $200 to pay my utility bills this week. If I don't, they're going to turn off my electricity. And I'm trying to sell a piece of equipment, and I feel sure I'll sell it this week, and I'm going to sell it for $4,000. And he said, I will be here next Sunday to pay you back the two hundred dollars. Can you let me have two hundred dollars? Sure, I guess you have two hundred dollars. Now when you give two hundred dollars, don't give it expecting nothing in return. Because if you give it expecting something in return, and then what happens and he don't show up next Sunday or the next or never again. He didn't sell that piece of equipment, he didn't plan to sell that piece of equipment. If he had of, and he'd have been a man of God, a true man of God, if he hadn't sold that equipment, do you know what he'd have done next Sunday? He'd come back in and said, Thurman, I tried my best this week to sell that th- piece of equipment for $4,000, but it didn't sell. Now, I'm going to keep coming to church every Sunday, and when I do sell it, I'm going to give you $200 back. But don't come to church and tell me you're going to sell a piece of equipment. And ask me to give you $200. And I give you $200. And then you don't never come back to church again. If you ever come back to church again. (laughs) And you had not been back in two years after that. And it's been about that long since he's been here. What do you think I'm going to do if he walks in next time and says, Sermon, I've got to have $200 more. (laughs) I mean, I might give it to him, Keith. I don't know whether I would or not. But I'd have to question it. Y'all understand where I'm coming from. Are we all human beings? Yes. But see, when you give something, the Lord says, give it expecting what in return? Nothing. Nothing. And then you don't get into an offense, see? It's just a fact that it happened. But if the guy walked in the door, I'd still love him, you know? If he did, I wouldn't have no bad thoughts. But that's why you don't never give anything expecting anything back. And then you can't be offended. So no problem. So, if you are a good Christian, you will produce good works. If you're not a good Christian, you will not produce good fruit. And if you're not producing good fruit, the Lord says he will cut your tree down and bring you home. Now, why do you think some Christians die prematurely? Because they're Christians and they're not producing any fruit. And so their tree gets cut down prematurely. I mean, now if you want a scripture to really confirm that, in John 15, verse 2, is very clear. I am the vine and you are the branches. And every branch in me that produces no fruit, what do I do to that? He cuts it off. Wow. But the next verse I don't like. But those that do produce fruit, He prunes those too. So He comes along and cuts a limb off. And it's a little tough on us, isn't it? So He prunes you so you will be even more fruitful. Now, without trials and tests... You can never have a big testimony. Now, with little bitty trials and tests, you can have a little bitty testimony. But with a big trial and test, you can have a big testimony if you pass your test. And I sure, if I, if I, to, if I have to go through one of them great big ones, I sure don't want to pass my test. I sure don't want to not pass my test. Do you? No, I don't. I don't like them great big trials and tests. I've had enough of them. I don't want any more. But I got a feeling there'll be different ones of different kinds down the road all my life. I got a feeling they ain't never going to end. How about you, brother? You think them trials and tests are going to keep on coming? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You just like me, you know he's going to keep working on you, right? <laughs> he ain't never going to stop. Now then, in verse 21, let's go on down from verse 15 or 17 to 20. Let's go to verse 21. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. Wow, I thought, surely if you're in the church and you sound godly, you must be a Christian. But he says, not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's scary. That's very scary. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. That's the decisive issue. On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. And we cast out demons in your name. Now, of course, when I was a Baptist, that would have left me totally out. <laughs> I never prophesied and I never cast out a demon <laughs> all those years. I didn't even know they were available. I just didn't know. So that, that couldn't have talked about me then but I could have been one of those that produced no fruit, that's for sure. So I'm glad he's merciful and gracious because if, I, if he wasn't, he'd have probably cut me off way back yonder when I wasn't producing very much fruit at all. But he said, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, and we perform many miracles in your name. But I reply, I never knew you. Go away. The things you did Were unauthorized. Isn't that something? I mean, that makes me tremble to think about that. I mean, you know, when Christians today say, it's okay, I can just do anything I want to do and still get to heaven. When you read this book, it makes you wonder sometimes, is the best Christians, how good do we have to be? You know, I think he requires a whole lot, don't you? But, all he really expects is us to come and make him our Lord and Savior and then begin to read the book and obey it. And if we obey it, then as we learn more about him and we produce more and more fruit, this will mean that we will get more and more rewards when we get home. But a brand new Christian, a brand new Christian, a guy that, take a guy or gal either one that's lived in utter hell on earth, that's not, never done anything right. And they come and you lead them to Jesus today. And they really have a real experience and they come to know Christ. And that afternoon, something happens and they're in a car wreck or an 18-wheeler runs over them and they're killed. They're going to go to heaven. Amen. They're washed in the blood. They hadn't even had time to sin after they got saved and washed. And they might be in better shape when they get there than some of those that have lived for 20 years as Christians. Because their robe was white. They didn't have time to get it dirty again. And I'm telling you, us as Christians, I don't know about you, but I know about me. And I've had a lot of spots put on my robe over the years when I missed God's best. But I think you all are right there with me. But now I'm trying my best to clean my robe up. I'm trying to make sure every spot is prayed off. I would love for my robe to be white and spotless when the Lord comes for us. Wouldn't you? That should be our goal as Christians. Then in verse 24, he says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. Like a person who builds a rock on a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it was built on a rock. How many of y'all have ever lived in a house like I did way back a hundred years ago when dad went out there on the solid ground and cut off some tree stumps about that big around and set them on the ground and we built a house on top of that? Anybody ever lived in one of those kind of houses? Nobody in here, ever boy, y'all are all must be young. You didn't have to live there. Huh? You didn't have no trees? Oh, OK. The first house that I was raised up in on the farm, Dad cut some big old oak trees about that big around and cut them off about this tall, and when I turned just set them on the ground and put some beams around them and built a floor on it, we built a house on that. And that was the foundation it was built on. Now then, what do you think happened as the rains came in the water and the ground got soft? What do you think happened to the house? It began to settle on the edges and the doors won't open. You know, or they swinged. I mean, all kinds. The windows won't close no more. No, all kinds of strange things happened to that house. Why did my daddy build a house like that? He didn't know no other way to build one. That's all he knew. Now, years later... We built another one. We had both learned a whole lot, especially Daddy. I'll never forget helping him dig a three-by-three, three-foot-wide and three-foot-deep ditch all the way around where the house was going to be. And we didn't dig it with a backhoe. We dug it with a pick and a shovel. It took us weeks to dig that Every evening when I got home from school, Keith, I knew what I was going to be doing. I was going to be in that ditch with that grubbing hoe and that pick digging that hole. And then we filled that up with rock. We had to go down and got rock. And then we poured concrete on top of all that rock up to about six inches above top of the ground. And let me tell you, we built another house on that one. And let me tell you, it never did move. It stayed right there. Dad learned something, but there was a whole lot more effort went into building that second one than it was that first one. But this is what Jesus is telling us right here. He says, "Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise." In other words, if he tells us what to do and we obey him, then he gives us this example. He said, "It's like a person who builds a house on solid rock." Well, nearly every one of us in here today that's got a house. It may not be on solid rock, but it's on solid concrete. Is that true? Yes, today we build houses and build beams and all kinds of stuff. And most of us, the house they built for you today, when you lived in it 10 or 20 years, when you go home, you can still open the door and it opens. You can pull it closed and it pulls nice and easy, right, Shelley? And you don't have to worry about it being all sideways because it's built on a foundation. And that's what the Lord's telling us here. Though the rains come in torrents. Now you notice the house that was built on rock, the floods came. And he says, but the house didn't collapse. It stood because it was built on rock. But anyone who hears my teachings and ignores it is foolish. Do you, do you, anybody remember in the word where he says, love your brother as yourself? Now what if you ignore that? What if he says, no fornication? And you go do it. it. Is that foolishness? Yeah, absolutely. Anything you do that's contrary to the Word of God. You say, well, that, no God, I don't see Him. I mean, that's what some people think. I can't see Him. Show me God. And people say, He's invisible. Well, if He's invisible, He don't exist. I mean, that's that's the rationale that some people use. God's not real. You know, He don't exist. So I don't have to obey those rules. I can do anything I want to do. Well, let me tell you, he's pretty real, isn't he, David? I don't see gravity, but I believe it. Yeah, I love that statement David just said. He said, I can't see gravity, but I believe it works. (laughs) I mean, if you were to get up on top of a 10 story building and you were to jump off, you would find out gravity works, don't you? Guarantee it works. You you jump off. and say, I don't believe in gravity. Oh, you don't believe? Okay, well, then you can walk around out there with no problem. It don't work like that, does it? Nope. Nope. You can say, look, it doesn't bother me at all. You're falling at 120 miles an hour. And it don't hurt you at all. You can jump out of an airplane fall 5,000 feet. You can just have a ball. You can do flips. You can roll over on your back. You can do all kinds of wonderful things. These guys that do skydiving... They love it. You know, I mean, woo, man, they can do all kinds of crazy things. Get into a circle, hold hands, the winds blow blowing. They're having a ball. But somewhere just before they get too close to the ground, they better have a parachute, hadn't they? Amen. If they don't have something to slow down that fall at 120 miles an hour when you hit that ground flat, let me tell you, there ain't going to be nothing left. Let me tell you, gravity works. And God is real, just like that. So he says, he gives us this example. If we ignore, but anyone who hears my teaching in verse twenty six and ignores it is foolish, he is like a person who builds a house on the sand. Now he didn't just say it is dirt, might day to build on hard, cleachy dirt, but it give, but sand man, that stuff's nothing. When the rains and the floods came and the winds beat against the house, it will fall with a mighty crash. You notice that both these houses had the storms of life? Do you realize that as a Christian, or without being a Christian, you're going to have the storms of life? Now, if you've got your house built on solid rock, when the devil comes to your house, you can run him off. But he's going to come. If you don't know who he is, he's going to put you to the test. And if you don't pass that test, just like the children of Israel, they grumbled and complained for 40 years. God was very unhappy with them. And after 40 years, how many of them did he say was going all them that grumbled and complained, how many was going to get to enter his rest? None of them. Not any of them. Only them that believed. And there wasn't very many, was there? Two. Out of the multitude, Joshua and Caleb, only two men got to live through that and enter into the rest The rest of them died in the wilderness in the sand. Wow. The storms of life will come. The floods will come, and they will beat against your house. And it will fall with a mighty crash. Verse 28, Jesus said, after Jesus finished speaking, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught as one who had real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Do you think the king is still teaching his word as a man of authority? We can find out real quick if God is real. If we walk in obedience to his word and somebody needs a prayer answered. And we come and pray and get to see God do a mighty work of restoration. Of healing. Of deliverance. Or of salvation. Bring a soul into the kingdom of God. It's amazing what you can see God do When you're obedient and I mean he literally says if we're obedient that scripture we just read there about effective prayer a few minutes ago there in Matthew 7. What did he say you could ask for anything he didn't cut us short his children have no limitations if we'll walk in obedience to his word and do what he says he will answer our prayer. But you've got to build on that solid foundation. Okay. Now we're going to go to 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going. To, we're going to. I'm going to do this in the Living Bible also. Second Peter chapter one verse one. This is some very awesome stuff in this. Second Peter chapter one verse one says, "From Simon Peter, a servant and a missionary of Jesus Christ, to all of you have who have obtained our kind of faith." What kind of faith did Peter have? That guy had great faith. I mean, he could just walk past you and his shadow go over you. And the people got healed. Can you imagine having that kind of faith? You know, I mean, I can think where I was in faith 30 years ago and where I am in faith today. What I saw 30 years ago, nothing. And I think what I get to see today. But every time I speak, it doesn't happen. But a lot of the time, it does happen. <laughs> I love it when God does those kind of things. So, when he answers in these, this precious faith that he's given us, and we pray in the name of Jesus and see a miracle happen right before eyes, or somebody get healed, or a, a crushed leg healed, or a broken back healed, or whatever it might be, and get to see God do those things instantly, man, that's the kind of faith... I want to have, and that's the kind we all need to have. He says there, The faith I speak of is the kind that Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, gives to us. Now, if Jesus gives us this kind of faith, he wants to give you his best. Not just some halfway faith. He wants to give you something, and then he wants you to take it and use it and act on it. And so many people won't do that. They will not act. how precious it is, and how just and good he is to give this same faith to each of us. You got it. He gives it to you. It's in the word. How much of the word do you have hidden in your heart? That will determine how much of that faith you have. He handed the word out and gave it to you. said, "Here it is. How much of it do you want, Gina? Oh, you want all of it. So, you're just like me. You're still studying the Word then, aren't you, girl? You want all of it too. In other words, we're just really, I mean, we're just gluttons for punishment, aren't we? We want all of it. All of it. Praise the Lord. Then he says, do you want more and more of God's kindness and peace? Do you? Do you? Then learn to know Him better and better. See, this is where it really separates the real Christian from those that are just playing Christians. Those that really want to know him get into the Word and get to know him better. If you just come to church on Sunday and you don't open your Bible from Sunday to Sunday, you'll never get to know the king very well. You'll never get to see him do very many mighty works. may never get to see him do a mighty work. may never. But he says... For, verse 3 says, For as you know Him better, He will give you through His great power everything you need for living a truly good life. If we get to go know Him better through the knowledge of God, what will He give us? Everything we need for life and godliness. Right? Everything you need. And He will give you this for living a truly good life, he even shares his own glory and his own goodness with us. His own glory. I can't think of anything I'd rather have that's better than Jesus coming and sharing his glory with me and you. Then he says, and by that same mighty power, his power, he has given us all the other rich and wonderful blessings he promised. All the blessings, all the spiritual gifts are ours when we read and study the Word. He did not cut you short. He gave you everything. People, I hear people all the time, just like I used to be when I was a Christian and didn't know. I'd pray and ask God for something. Lord, I need this or I need that. You know. And I could just see the king now saying, Son, I already gave it to you. Act on it. Go do something in faith, and it's already yours. Amen. You know, I thought, good grief, Lord! I heard there's a devil. He seems to be bothering me. Will you please do something about this critter? You ever heard anybody make that statement in church? Maybe you've been like Maybe you've done it yourself, just like I did. And you know what the King would tell me? I give you power over him. Tell him to get off your back, and use my name, and he will leave. But when you do it, do it in faith. And when you do, wow, you get to see the devil leave. You don't ever have to ask God for those things anymore. He's already given it to you. All that power. So as far as you know Him better, He will give you through His great power everything you need for living a truly good life. He even shares His own glory and His own goodness with us. And by that same mighty power... He has given us all the other rich and wonderful blessings He promised. For instance, the promise to save us from the lust and rottenness all around us. I don't know of any rottenness or lust around us, do you? (laughs) Oh, y'all must live in a different world than I do, huh? Yes, the lust and the rottenness is everywhere around us. Is it not? You can't go nowhere. I mean, you hear wicked things. People, you you can be walking down the street and some guy's using foul words or profanity, taking the Lord's name in vain. I mean, you can go to a movie, nearly any movie, and there's all kinds of foul stuff in it. In fact, I went to a movie years ago, and just a traditional movie, and I walked in there and sat down with somebody... And we was in there 15 minutes, and they used the Lord's name in vain. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Nope, 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 we can't handle this. But I thought, well, I'll give it five more minutes. And in five more minutes, they did it again. I said, that's it, I'm out of here. And I ain't been back to a movie except a Christian movie or something about the Lord. Sure, and I have been to two or three movies since we've been married, but they're all something about the Lord, you know. And so I just, I don't go to movies. I don't watch them. I don't know who they are. don't know movie stars. Don't tell me about somebody that's a great big movie star, because if you do, I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me a worldly uh, a guy that's in TV or a, a worldly guy that's uh, a singer or anything. Do you know who he is? Never heard of him in my life. But he is or she is the best singer on the face of the earth. Well, if you don't sing at a church, i never heard of more than likely. Right. So, anyway, it says... <clears throat> separated us from all this rottenness that's all around us and to give us his own character. Now, that's what the Lord has provided for you and me. But he says in verse 5, in this living translation, I really like this so much better than I did the King James. But it says good in the King James too. But in the living Bible it says, but to obtain these gifts, oh, wait a minute, but to obtain this gift you need more than faith. That's what the Living Bible says. You must also work hard to be good. You reckon that's true, David? That sounds good, doesn't it? And even that is not enough. For then you must learn to know God better and discover what He wants you to do. How many people do you know that's out there seeking the Lord? Lord, what do you want me to do? and really praying diligently, Lord, I'm studying Your Word. I'm going to walk in obedience to Your Word, and I want to know what You want to do with me. I want You to use me for Your glory, and I don't want to pass through this earth and do nothing for You. I want to make an impact on people by, and that for the kingdom of God when I pass through. When I pass through, I want souls when I get to heaven that will run up and put their arm around me and say, You were the one that led me to Jesus. You were the one that taught me how to walk holy before God. You changed my life. And because you changed my life, I changed their lives. And all these other people are here because of you and your service to the King. Amen. Can you imagine that? Yes, Can you ima- I think about this little shoe salesman that led Billy Graham to Christ. Little insignificant nobody, he thought. One day, When the whole roll is called up yonder, uh, there'll be millions say, Wow, I came to Christ through Him, through Him, through Him, and through Him. And there's that little shoe salesman. I came to Christ through Billy Graham. Billy Graham said, I came to Christ through Him. So without Him, none of this other would have happened. Isn't that awesome? That's the way, that's why God can't give us the rewards until it's all over. You know that? Because that man's deeds is still following him, though he's dead, his deeds are still and his rewards in heaven are still being accumulated. You ever stop to think about that? Think about what I just said. You know, just because you died, does your deeds stop? No. What if you had been a mean person? And you've done mean things to bad people which caused other people to be mean and bad. Your judgment is not settled when you die. Your judgment is not going to be settled till the end of the age, the complete end in every person is stopped. And then you'll be judged according to every evil work that came through you and all those people that you had an impact on. And your reward will be based On that. Just like the rewards in heaven. He can't give us the reward right now. When we die right now and go to heaven, He can't give us our reward because He don't know what it's going to be. You might have led 500 people to Jesus while you were down here, and those 500 might have led 50,000. And you're going to reap part of the rewards of all of that because you were faithful to lead the first 500 So you can't be rewarded until the end of the age. till the end of the Christian age. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. See, your rewards are following you. So whatever you do down here on earth, do something good. Do something good so your rewards are going to continue to follow. And then he says, verse 6 says, Next, learn to put aside your own desires. Now, killing the flesh is the toughest thing we do every day. That beast is a beast. Yep. Learn to put aside your own desires so that you will become patient and godly, gladly letting God have His way with you. You know, if the king says, I want to send you to Africa. (laughs) oh, You'd go, huh? You know what some people would say? Lord, how about, let's not do Africa. Or somebody say, oh, wow, we get to make a trip to Africa? We're going down there and witness and lead people to Jesus. Oh, man, I love to go. Let me ask you this question. The prerequisites for going in the last year, you must have led at least 20 people to Christ in your neighborhood. Have you done that? Well, no. Well, gee, if you can't lead anybody to Jesus here, why do we need to take you to Africa? (laughs) I know, I know, but we should be interested in every person we meet. Well, yeah, but they don't want to hear it. I mean, the people in my my neighborhood... They don't want to hear it. You know, I'm I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you all something, and you may not believe this, of course you have that option. I'm going to tell you that if you and me live a godly life, a holy life and walk in obedience with no compromise with the Word of God. And your prayer life will become so powerful, and the answers to your prayer will become so powerful, even the people in your neighborhood will want to talk to you about Jesus. I'm telling you, it'll happen, won't it, I guarantee there will be people that you knew in the world that wouldn't have nothing to do with you until they know that they have a real serious need, and then they're overlooking for you. What was that? What was that? Where was that religious guy? There was some guy by the name of David. You know, that used to, he, was, he was a religious fanatic. He was always talking about Jesus. I need, I'm sick and afflicted. Where is that guy? I need to find him. Now, they might not be interested. You know, you might have talked to him about Jesus. No, David, that's okay. I know I'm supposed to be good and all that stuff. Well, you know, you're a good guy and that's okay for you, but I want to go my way and do it my way. Until they have a need. Right. And then they say, oh, that guy that used to pray. That guy that God used to raise up people on their sick beds. Where is that guy? I need to talk to him. They're looking for you then. See, that's the way every one of us should live, right? Every one of us should live and walk in that. So, whenever the world comes down sick and afflicted and they need a man or woman of God, they ought to say, hey, my neighbor, which lives right up there. She is so godly, or he is so godly, and I know God answers their prayer. Let me go up there. And you sat down with them, and you talk to them about Jesus. Now, if you don't ever see a prayer answered then you ain't no different from them. Then they're not going to be interested in coming to your house. How many of you realize that we as Christians are supposed to be a unique race on this earth? We ain't supposed to be normal. You know, we're supposed to be unique. We're children of God. We're supposed to be holy and clean and pure, and we're supposed to be known as that religious fanatical race. That's the way. That's right. Supernatural. That's the way we're supposed to be known. Now, then, he's telling us here. He says, "This will make." Verse seven says, "This will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them." You mean I can really like people? It says, "If I've done all these things, I can like people." And then it says. And finally, you will grow to love them deeply. You can have a love for people. Isn't that amazing? What we fight and fuss over on this earth. Verse 8 says, The more you go on in this way, the more you go on in this way, the more you will grow strong. Spiritually. And become fruitful and useful. I don't know about you. But I want to be strong as I possibly can. Spiritually. So I can be fruitful and useful to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now then. If you're not strong spiritually. don't have the word hidden in your heart. I can think years ago. When I was a Baptist deacon. Sunday school teacher. And all that stuff. Nobody ever called me to go somewhere to a hospital to pray for a sick, and especially, you know, somebody might ask me as a deacon, if I was their deacon, they might ask me to come pray. But they didn't expect anything to happen, and I didn't expect anything to happen. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing, but that's what it was, Pamela. That just life. But now then, we have people call us, and we go to the hospital's, and we find out what the problem is. We find out what the sin is. In fact, we went to the hospital yesterday, last night, with a young lady with congestive heart failure and diabetes, and they rolled her into the room in a wheelchair after doing some tests. Just as we got there last night, we stayed probably hour and a half, two hours. And today, she got out of the bed before we left. And today, she come home from the hospital. Isn't that amazing? Hey, Jesus answers prayer, Eldon. The king. See, now, we expected that. We told her last night after we found the problems and everything, prayed over her and her friends and her daughter and everybody else. We prayed over everybody there. We said, you will be home in nothing flat. Well, while we're praying over her daughter, I felt somebody in turn and looking there. She's standing there out of the bed praying with us. And she said, I'll see you all in Bible study tomorrow night. But I don't see her here tonight. But I know she got out of the hospital today because we got a message at the ministry center. They released her from the hospital today. She did go home. Hey, don't you love to go and pray for somebody that's in that critical condition and see them get out the next day? Woo, don't you love to see God answer your prayers? Woo, totally agree with it. And But now I expect that. I expect Don't we share them? We get to the point where we walk holy. Don't we expect things like that to happen, Rosemary? Every day. And we see it virtually every day too, don't we? It is so nice to be attached to a ministry that all of us get to see God do all these wonderful things. It is awesome, the phone calls that we get. I mean, everybody out there prays for people and things happen. I love seeing God in the midst of this thing. Then it says, verse 9, But anyone... Uh Uh-oh, wait a minute. Now, how do we have to throw these kind of things in here every once in a while? Verse 9 says, But anyone who fails to go after these additions to faith is blind indeed, or at least very short-sighted, and has forgotten that God delivered him from the old life of sin, so that now he can live a strong, good life for the Lord. Anybody who fails to go after these additions to faith. Boy, I was one of those for a long time. I didn't even know these things were available. But now that I've learned, it makes life fun when you learn it. So, verse 10 says, So, dear brothers, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Uh Uh-oh. Do what? Can't I just work kind of, Easily. What did he say to do, Donna? Work hard. Work, hard. work hard. You really think the king really meant that? Oh my goodness gracious Lord. That means everything I've got to do, I've got to work at it with all my heart. As unto the Lord, right? Isn't it amazing how many times he put these kind of things in the Word? So you mean I'm not to be out there under my neighbor's tree, you know, sitting in his easy chair and having him bring me iced tea? That's not what he said. That's not working hard, is it? Uh, Lord, it's so much easier doing it this other way. But he said, That's okay. You can do it that way. But if you don't work, you don't eat. Oh, my goodness gracious. Why did he have to be so hard on us? So, dear brothers, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen, and then you will never stumble or fall away. Woo, I like that. If we work hard and we, to prove that we really are among those that God has called and chosen, then you will never stumble or fall away from the Lord. Well, I definitely want to be there. And God will open wide. Uh-oh, boy, here's some good promises. And God will open wide the gates of heaven for you to enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How would you like to enter the kingdom? And you get up there and St. Peter's there was the gate. And he kind of sticks his head through the bar on the gate and says, who are you? And I said, Lord, I'm Thurman Scrivener. And he says, I don't find your name in the book. Would that be the worst thing you ever heard? Oh, my. Into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth with you. I don't want to hear that, do you? Woo, so let's do what the Lord says. And when it comes time for us to get there, He says, Whoop, There comes my daughter right there. Open the gate. And let her in. Is that what you want to hear, young lady? Run into his arms. <laughs> Absolutely. Run right into the king's arms. Well, I mean, have you noticed that all this stuff is conditional? Everything we've read is conditional. It requires something on our part. We've got to be about the king's business. I mean, not just one or two little aspects of it, all of it. He made a lot of statements in here. Wow. Verse 12. Y'all may not like to hear this, but I'm going to be just like Paul. I'm going to read these last two verses and then we're going to quit. I plan to keep on reminding you of these things. Even though you already know them and are really getting along quite well. And I praise the Lord because most of you, I feel, are getting along quite well. Most of you in here are really loving the Lord and out doing things for the kingdom and leading people to Jesus and going out to hospitals and visiting the sick and praying for them and doing all kinds of wonderful things. Many of you are doing great things. But I'm planning to keep on reminding you, every time you come to a Bible study, I'm going to keep on beating this in you, that you've got to keep on doing these wonderful things, even though you already know them. And are really getting along quite well, but the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me that my days here on earth are short. Ooh, they're numbered. And I am soon to die. Ooh, isn't that something? I'm glad this is Paul, not me. He hadn't showed me that yet. As long as I am still here though, I intend to keep sending these reminders to you. Now then, he hasn't showed me yet that my days are numbered. But how many of you know your days are numbered? Yes. Amen. Every one of us have a numbered set of days. None of us, at least I don't think, I certainly don't know when mine is. But I am asking the Lord to let me be used for his glory for many years. I want to be about his business. I want to go wherever he wants me to go. I want to teach his word. I want to bring people into the kingdom. I want to heal the sick. I want to cleanse the lepers. I want to raise the dead. I want to do things that will glorify the king of kings and lord of lords. Because when you step over into that world, everybody knows it can't be you doing it. they got to know it's Jesus. So that way you know you're glorifying the king. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this Bible study. We thank you for your word, Lord, that you have so graciously given to us. Lord, we are so grateful for this magnificent Word of God. And Lord, if we'll just do what you say, Lord, you will open those gates wide when we get to heaven one day. And while we're here on earth, you'll bless our socks off with long life, good health, and prosperity while we're here on this earth. If we'll just do what you say. So Lord, help us all to go from here tonight and to be about your business and to do great and mighty and good things for the kingdom of God. Work hard, diligently, learning the Word and producing good things, and then, Lord, taking the resources that we earn and using them to help other people and to bring people into the kingdom of God and do great and wonderful things. And we praise you and thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.